Good evening. All right. It's good to see you all. We're going to uh, pick up on number three of the series that we've entitled uh, The Beauty of Intolerance or The Beauty of God's Standard. Um, the, the idea is that we, uh, we've been teaching this in the teen class. We're obviously not teaching it right now, but last quarter we did. And it's this idea of what does society say about tolerance? What does society say about things like love and respect and acceptance and dignity, moral judgment and personal preference, things like that? And uh, we started our first lesson defining those and comparing and contrasting the def- these definitions from a worldly and societal view uh, based on a biblical view and uh, for the sake of not preaching two lessons to you, uh, you can find those definitions uh, in the PowerPoints later if you, if you come to me or, or on YouTube. And then the next month, last month we covered, uh, well, why would this matter? How do I know that the Bible is authoritative? And we did a little, we did a little bit of uh, uh, apologetics last week, and, and we covered uh, proofs on, on why we believe that the Bible is authoritative and therefore what's inside it, what's contained there, therein uh, should be something that we set as a standard, a measuring stick for our lives. And this month, uh, we're going to cover biblical love. And you can't have biblical love without truth. And so we're going to cover that today. Um, I'm sure many pulpits across America this week echoed sentiments about the things that we had seen. And I don't want to make it political. But what we've been exploring is this, this uh, statement, and maybe some of the kids will remember it, but I won't put them on the spot. But this idea that if I, as a Christian, believe that God created me in his image, then I must believe he created people who don't believe like me who don't believe the same and think the same as me. I must believe he created them in his image. Politics aside, I saw some crazy things this week. I've seen, I, I, I've seen videos. I've, Allie and I, we, we, we love horror slasher films. I mean, not so much anymore now that we're in our, our mid-30s. They're not so exciting, and we have kids. But this... Uh, <laughs> but. This idea that uh, I couldn't be affected. I've seen it all. I've seen it all. Right? Uh, when I was 17, I, I, saw, I saw a guy on a motorcycle get hit, and he died in front of me. Right? It doesn't affect me. I can talk about that. But then I saw what people are doing to each other, and it's being posted. And it's not that they're just doing it to each other, but they're doing it in the name of a God. I'm going to burn babies in the name of God. I'm going to rape women to death in the name of God. It broke me, I'll be honest. And unfortunately, we live in a society where this information is put out and you can open up your phone to check something and it's right there in your eyes. If you're a parent, that's why I sent you that remind this week. Because I was surprised when I opened up my social media. 
at what information was given to me, just pushed on me without my, my permission, really. And these things are being done in the name of love, the name of truth. This God, Allah, right? He loves you so much, He wants to see you murder people. Thank the Lord. I'm so blessed that I do not serve a God that wants me to kill people. I'm so grateful that I serve a God whose definition of love is done through my actions and what make you better. Because that is what biblical love is all about. The cultural definition of love is coupled with the same definition of tolerance. The culture has this distorted idea of love. And because their view of what love is is distorted, it's not based in biblical fact, it's not based in truth. I know this is probably hard, again, I know this is hard to read. Uh, I put this, uh, this was for my class, I wasn't going to redo it. Uh, and then for sermons, and then redo it again for a class later. So I can print you these out. I can, uh, I can get you this information. I can get you the book that we used. Um, but if you want this information, just let me know. Uh, continuing on. Cultural love and cultural tolerance states that real love is an unlimited acceptance of any behavior a person engages in, even if it's harmful. You guys ever had friends like that? Or family like that. I was one of those people once. You're not going to let me drink every weekend and call you on the phone at 2 o'clock in the morning? You hate me. You hate me. You don't understand me. Right? No. <laughs> you don't love me. No, 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 no. I care about you. Does not uh, Cultural love and tolerance does not address, and it cannot address, what is in the best interest of a person because there is no universal right or wrong. If you, if you don't believe that there is a God who, ha, who gives you moral truth and that there is a standard by which everyone measures their actions and their, their uh, words off of and what they do and believe, well, then you can't be grounded in a moral truth. Anything, as the wind blows, you'll be swayed, Right? And that's what we're, not, what we're called to be. We're called to be firm. We're called to be anchors. In the cultural love and tolerance, one must sacrifice their own morals for the sake of relationships. This is real big in the, in the community right now. Uh, trans community, right? If you don't support the fact that, that I call, uh, uh, I want to be a woman, then you must not love me. If you don't accept the fact that... Uh, I'm, uh, if I can't come to your house for Thanksgiving because I have a, a boyfriend or a husband, well, then you must not love me, right? You have to sacrifice your morals so that I'm comfortable. See, that's not how it is. And the beauty of intolerance is that when these things come to us, if we really are showing the, the nature of God and what we do, when we stand firm... Yeah, it might, they may think it's a little unfair, but the nature in which we do it 
nature in which we stand firm or are intolerant is going to be a very beautiful thing because they'll see the love. They'll see what real love really looks like. See, we're not going to be talking about passionate love like I have for my wife. Okay. Uh, she's not paying attention. You know, uh, she's... Sorry, sorry. You know, I, I shouldn't have done that. Um, but we're not, that's not the kind of love we're talking about. We're talking about a love that drives you, uh, that, that moves you, Right? Uh, we talked, I did a lesson several, several months ago on the compassionate nature of God, the God of compassion. And this idea that compassion and grace are not the same thing. Compassion is what, you, is the emotion that moves you to action, which is grace, right? And so, real true love that moves you to action, even if that means you're going to maybe offend somebody, maybe you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Each individual in cultural love and tolerance can set their own standard by which they live their life. When an individual's lifestyle choices come in conflict with the morals that we have or that God has bestowed upon us, the individual is now unloved. And now we, who are trying to act in in morality, we are now labeled as intolerant. Or for some of you younger people, haters. All right. The person who created the conflict, which would be like you or I, we've done it in love. We've created the conflict because we see that what you're doing is, is not good for you. And we love you so much, we're willing to make it a little uncomfortable to help bring you back or keep you safe or whatever, whatever the situation is at hand. What we see as love the culture sees as uncaring and cold, inconsiderate, intolerant. But biblical love and tolerance is so much different. Biblical tolerance is this idea that love is founded in truth. See, I can't truly love you if I'm lying to you, can I? I could probably share some stories about times I've, I've tried to hide my own actions by lying to my wife uh, about things I have done. And those things hurt her deeply. I know. She told me. But she loves me. And so when I lied to her, it hurt a relationship. See, I've got to be truthful, Right? It's not just about lying. It's about what you see. Again, let's talk about the culture. You know what? I'm, uh, I'm going to be a woman today, right? Is that true? Can I really be one? I really can't. I'm not just trying. I'm, that's, just, that's just an example. I can give you. I can, we can talk about more. I'm not just trying to pick on anybody. But it's the obvious one that's happening right now, right? But it's this idea that if I'm doing something that is grounded in truth, we're not going to have a hard time disagreeing on it. It's going to actually be quite easy to agree on a lot of things uh, that are, uh, especially morals, um, that are founded in truth. All right? If I tell you something and you're like, oh, that sounds great, and then you go look it up and you find out that I've been lying to you, you're going to think I'm trying to get one over on you. Is that love? 
It's not love. Biblical love is founded in truth. Biblical love does not approve of behavior that is destructive to the individual. Many of you know uh, what my life was like growing up and what my, what my family uh, is into um, and the things that they're a part of, and, and I love them, you know, but we don't take part in a lot of those things because the behavior that they put out is destructive behavior. And guess what's really fun to Titus? Destructive behavior. Boy, it's fun. It is so much fun. However, that is not what is, it's not what's right. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. That's not morality. Biblical love does not condemn the individual, but points to the truth of universal right and wrong through God-like qualities. Things such as tender speech, patience, and respect in the effort to save them from harm. You see, uh, and I've done it myself. Oh, I've, so many times I've looked in the mirror and said, you're turning into your father. Uh, but this idea that uh, I've drawn a hard line in the, in, in the sand. There's no discussion. My way or the highway. Well, that works sometimes. For me, if I'm trying to talk to my child or trying to talk to someone else's, 42 kids in the youth group. Think I can draw a hard line in the sand with everybody? No. <laughs> we got to have tender speech to be able to break down some, some walls, some barriers, right? We have to have patience. Because it takes a long, long time. It takes a long, long time to come around if you enjoy things like destructive behavior. Respect. That one's a little harder for me with kids. Because I don't believe I should respect children to a certain degree. I'm an adult. Anyways, we can talk about that later. I'm sure I'll get an email. Biblical love is not meant to be expressed with a cold heart. However, an individual can mistake sternness or urgency for coldness. So be aware of the approach to said individual. See, that would be my warning right now about this. You cannot express biblical love by being hateful. Right? When the prostitute came up, Jesus started screaming, unclean, nasty, get away. Right? No. He said, he's, he, he said I, I know how many men you've been with. You know? I, I, I know these things. Now go tell the city about me. Biblical love looks out for the best interests of others. This means that someone who will have to address destructive choices and behaviors in the people they love the most. My sister and I have a fantastic relationship. Um, So fantastic, in fact, that our decisions hurt each other. I've said many, many times from this pulpit, uh, I've talked about me and my sister's relationship. And... That was probably the hardest thing to do. It was a uh, 2014 when we found out we were going to have fun, the end of 2014. And we had to have a conversation. Hey, we can't, we can't have this around our family. Hey, we're, t- we're turning a new leaf. If you want to do this, sorry, we can't, we can't do this. My buddies, lots of buddies. My phone used to blow up all the time. 
all, all my friends. I, ne- I never n- not had something going on. Chain, you know, turn a new leaf. Start living in moral truth. Not glorifying. Not compromising myself. And all of a sudden that phone stopped ringing. But now it rings again because you guys call me all the time. So, and not just for plumbing. So thank you for that. If hate and disgust are the driving factors in conflict, then it is not biblical love. Well, how do we know that lo- what love is if we don't first understand God's truth? Well, God is truth. Jesus isn't one of many truths. He is the truth. He is the way. And God's truth in this culture is uh, intolerant. It is bigoted. It is hateful. Those darn Christians, they're ruining everything. Why can't I do this on my own, right? Why can't I do what I want to do? God doesn't love me. I saw, I see this meme going around. It drives me insane. Uh, Jesus is standing at this door and he knocks. And the person said, and it says, knock, knock. And the person goes, who's there? He says, Jesus. And he says, what do you want? I want to save you. And then the person inside goes, well, what if, what if I don't want, uh, or save you from what? And Jesus says, from the things that I will do to you if you don't open the door. Well, that's not Jesus, though, is it? But that's culture's view of Jesus. I'll save you. You better do what I say or you're going to burn in hell. I'm serious. That's culture's view for the most part. What do we do with that? Well, we've got to know what God's truth really is. We've got to be able to understand the nature of God, and we've got to combat that. When someone says, well, your God just has way too many rules. He's got this or that. We first need to say, well, he's, he's our God. And we've got to tell him what the truth is. God's truth is not meant to be negative or restrictive, but instead, God's truth is positive and freeing. And we read that in John 10.10, 10, where Jesus says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus that is, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God's truth is not a negative thing. It is actually a a very good thing. God's truth is not founded in hate and this idea that he wants to control every aspect of your life. If he wanted to do that, he wouldn't have given us free will. He would have just controlled us. And we wouldn't be here. You know, would never ate the fruit. We wouldn't even know what we'd have. It's not founded in hate and control, but is issued from a loving heart and perfect nature for our own good. Deuteronomy 10, 12-13, the Lord says through Moses, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, this word is respect. Put in proper place where God is. Does that sound familiar to what John said this morning? God is your king. Walk in all his ways. To love him. To fear him. 
to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. See, God's truth is good for us. Uh, until I started living in God's truth, you know, it, I don't know, there's some things I want to say that I just don't think I should. But this idea that, uh, that life is so much better. We get this idea, and culture tells us, well, if you become a Christian, you're going to be shackled and chained. You're never going to have any fun. You're going to be confined to your, your house. You've got to wear skirts all the way down to your toenails. And uh, uh, you can never wear a pair of shorts again. Take your earrings out. And uh, if, if you do all that and you're accepted by us here with your modesty, well, then God surely will accept you. Uh, no more fun, ever, ever, ever. Sorry, some of that's coming out because that's what I heard my whole life. But that's not it. God, it's so freeing. There is so much freedom in being a Christian. There's so much freedom in knowing where you stand at all times. There is so much freedom in knowing how to truly love. And there's so much freedom in knowing what God's nature is. God's truth knows that living lives of sin does not lead to lasting fulfillment, but to emptiness and frustration, something that David says uh, in Psalm 119.35 when he says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. This is 33 through 36 right now. And I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. See, anything outside of what God wants for me is selfish gain. Culture would tell you that is controlling, that is hateful, that is intolerant. I tell you, brothers and sisters, that is freedom. Because I know where I'm at at all times. God does not want us, his truth, he does not want us to be exposed to the cruelties of a fallen world. Unfortunately, we are. Unfortunately, we are. That's just a part of it. And he wants to protect and provide for us. And we know that because he did that for, he said that for his people in Jeremiah 29.11, the famous verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But the not so well known Jeremiah 32, 38 through 39, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me, respect properly forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. See, God's truth, his rules are protecting us. We'll, we'll define that a little later in a, in a few minutes. But it's like, so I tell my daughter, don't put, uh, don't put that steak knife. Well, she wouldn't need a steak. Uh, don't, don't put, don't put that fork in that electrical socket. So she says, okay. But she goes over to this electrical socket and goes to put it in. And I'm like, ah, that's fine. She understands, right? 
no, no, I've got to, I've got to be there. I've got to be like, no, 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 not just this one, but this one too, right? Well, Dad, you're no fun. I want to electrocute myself today. You know, does, does that happen? No, no, because I'm providing, I'm protecting, and that's what God does for us. And the ultimate way that He provided for us was by sending Jesus, by sending someone. Uh, a message through the apostles and the Holy Spirit, a unified message that would allow us to access God if we follow these things. Does it get any more protecting or providing in nature than that? I would think not. I don't know if I could give up my kid for any of you. I love you. I really do. Not as much as my kids. Now we understand God, what God's truth really is. We can now understand what biblical love really is. Biblical love is other-focused. That's a hard one for me. Um, not because I think I'm beautiful, but because I like myself. I've always been very comfortable with myself. And if I want something, because I love myself so much, I will work however hard it takes, however many jobs it takes for me to acquire what it is that I like. I like stuff. It's probably one of my biggest crutches. I like stuff. But biblical love is not about me. It's about how I treat you. Not just you. It's about how I treat the lost in the world. It's about how I treat those who look at me when I say that my God loves you. You just got to follow this, and you have this access to the blood. And they go, no, that's intolerant. That's hateful. I don't want any part of that. I could respond, then you're going to go to hell. I, I, could, I could respond in another way, you know. It's just, it's just a matter of how are we going to approach this subject. Well, it's got to be others-focused at all times. That's what biblical love truly is. Because being self-centered is our nature. It's what David was talking about in Psalm 119.35. We are created in God's image. We've established that. And He loves, that's God, perfectly and in a healthy way. You guys ever met somebody who loved in an unhealthy way? Or thought they were in love and now are in a very unhealthy relationship? That will never be you and God. God knows how to love because God established it. And He knows how to love you the best way possible because nothing outdoes God's love. Therefore, if we're going to imitate God, His nature, we have to try, try is the key word here because we're not going to all the time, try to love in a perfect and healthy way. John 13, 34. Hope I lost it. There we go. A new commandment I give you, Jesus is saying, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Right? This isn't how I've decided that I'm going to love Randall this week, and so I'm going to treat D.W. with that type of love. This is the type of love that Jesus went and hung on a cross for me. I've got to take it personally and then look at them and go, 
That's how I'm going to treat you. Not just this week, but every day until I die, every interaction we have. That's hard to do. That's hard to do. Even the nicest people will put a line in the sand and be like, leave me alone. All right? But we're, suppo- we're supposed to love each other. Biblical love, we have to understand that God is the source and the model for real love. 1 John 4, 16, uh, 16 through 17. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is so also are we in this world. If we love one another, God abides in us, right? That's what, that's what it says. So what should a goal be for us? If I want God to abide in me, then it's my job to love people. A biblical love. A love that is, that is good and kind, tender-hearted, respectful, However, not giving into their ways, holding to the standards that God has set forth for us. When we, when we do this properly, you'll be surprised at how much fruit can come out of it. We lose a lot of people. What's, what's that old saying? Somebody said it to me once, and I thought it was silly. Uh, but then I found out it was probably it was true. Uh, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Or I was eating the honey, so we weren't catching any flies. But I'm just joking. But this idea that we are going to get more people. The idea is to catch the fly, right? That's the go. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be catching them. So how are we going to do it? Hellfire and brimstone? Love and compassion. There's a healthy balance because there are consequences for our actions, right? Right? Fawn goes up and decks her little sister in the face, guess who's going to get a butt whooping, right? There are consequences for our actions. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. However, he also modeled compassion, compassionate speech, interchanges with people. And that is what we should be following what is biblical love? Love is, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. One of my favorite one of my favorite reasons to lead uh, 448, the greatest commands, is that we as a united body in Christ who love each other are singing about the things we are going to do for each other in that song. Yes, there's, I love the footsteps of Jesus, all the songs I love this morning, those are great. But, you know, like, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me and in you. The greatest commands... Songs that, that speak directly to you and me, those are our favorite, those are my favorite ones to sing because it defines the unity we're supposed to have. 
for each other. And if we have that loving unity in here, where else are we going to have it? We're going to have it out there. If we're divided in here, we're going to be divided out there. See, this is a community. This is a kingdom, as we were reminded this morning. And kingdom people have kingdom work to do. And at the top of that list is love. Unlike Allah, God calls us to love our enemies. Turn the other cheek. Walk away. Extra mile. Another garment. That's the God of love that I serve. Amen? Those are the people of God we need to be. Romans 13, 10, uh, 8 through 10. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. All right. How do you pay love? Mike, can I pay you in love? That's not a currency I have. Am I always going to owe you love? Until that's it. So what's the one thing I'm, I'm allowed to owe people? It's not good to be in debt, we've read. However, we can be in debt for one thing. Love for each other. Isn't that interesting? For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. If love is the fulfilling of the law, and Jesus fulfilled the law, what are Jesus' actions? Love. Love at its finest. And that's the message a lot of people miss. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He'll say something similar in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, uh, and we'll read that, twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first command, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He said it twice. He said it twice. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite phrases in the house. Maybe you've heard it growing up. How many times do I have to tell you? We, we can count how many times Jesus told us what love really is. And finally, Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, the goal in biblical love is to always put others above yourself. That's called humility. Humility is considering others more important than yourself. And Christian love is being united in God's truth. When we come into moral conflict with an individual who does not believe as we do, biblical love is a must. Otherwise, it's not biblical love. 
It's what I like to call moral opinion. We have a lot of moral opinions in this world and not a lot of biblical love. That's something we need to look out for. There's a lot going on politically in our climate. We've got an election year coming up. This is not a place for us to be dividing over things like that. This is a place for us to come together in love and figure out how we're going to combat it out there to the lost, not be at one another. See, there are battles that are, that are coming up, and if we don't know how to love and we fail in here, it will not work out there. And we're going to drag the name of Jesus through the mud with our actions and our moral opinions. We can't do that. The nature of real love comes from God. And God, uh, we're going to take these four uh, definitions. Moral love is to provide and to protect, but godly love is to nourish and cherish. So, to provide. Make available for use. I know that my kids need to eat breakfast in the morning. I make sure that there's Pop-Tarts available for them. All right? I mean... I provided for them. Don't I love them? It's there. They ate it. Right? However, God's definition of provide is what we like to call nourish. It's to provide with substance necessary for growth, health, and good condition. That is the way that God provides for us. When he gives us something, it's not because he wants us to fail, or that he hates us, or that he, he wants to have control. It's he's given you something that's going to sustain you, it's going to help you grow, and you're going to be healthy and in good condition after it. We got some people in here. I see, I see one of my buddies in the back, he plays football. I bet he would never drink a giant Mountain Dew before he got on that field. He might, I don't know, but I doubt it. So who wants to run around on a field doing tackles with all that soda in your, in your tummy? Not me. Not me. It's not good for you. If I was a good dad, I'd be up every morning at 5.30 making my kids eggs and pancakes. I'm still working on the nourishment. Right now they get Pop-Tarts. And then we have to protect, right? But it's different. See, I can stand, I can stand at the front of my house if an army's coming down, and, and I can I can try to protect my family all day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I can do that all day. But I can do that also for people that I don't even know. How many times have we turned on the news and there's been some some person who's somewhere and a, and a shooting happens and the guy Guy decides that he's going to take action and shoots the guy, everything's over, and then they're meeting for the first time after this has already happened. Did the guy go in there with this idea that that guy today, I'm going to make sure to, to I hold him dear? No, that's not what happens. However, when God protects us, which he has done by giving us his, his word, things to follow, rules, regulations, standards, measuring sticks. That's how he's protected us. 
All right? That's a word called cherish, which means to protect and care for. Do you notice that it's, he does these things because they're good for us? He didn't do it because he wanted to control us. He gives them to us because they are good for us. Well, if he sees that they're good for us, then what must he do? What must he be thinking? He must really care. And he does. The God of the Bible cares so much about each and every one of you. He cares about me. And he cares about everyone in the world. And that is the message we're supposed to be bringing out. There's the hope. If you're not Muslim, you don't get to accept Allah. You know? If you're Calvinist, you can accept God. He may not accept you. You'll see. You'll find out when you get there. Or you can be a Christian, Bible-believing Christian, who comes in contact with the blood of Christ through baptism, and you repent of your sins daily, if that's if you're like me, and you have an opportunity to be united with God. No strings attached. This is what it is. That's love. When we love those we come into moral con- conflict with, and we love them with the nature the same type of love that God has for us. We're not just providing and protecting them. We're, we're nourishing them. We're doing our best. We're cherishing them. These words have so much more meaning. We become evangelists of a God that cherishes and nourishes people and not a God of hatred as the world has decided that He is. So in conclusion, there we go. Oh, I pressed too many times. In conclusion, we've only got two more of these left. Uh, so, so it's officially the longest series I've ever preached. It's been five months. So, uh, Cultural love and tolerance is not founded in a universal truth, but a truth of the individual. I can't, if you don't believe in what God's standards are, if you don't believe in His truth, then, then I don't, I can't be united with you. However, if you believe in the truth of God, I can be united with you. And that's the most beautiful thing in the world. Because those who are united in God's truth, what do they become? The church. One of the most amazing things ever established on this earth. Biblical love and tolerance is founded in a universal truth, God's truth, not one where the individual uses their own standards. However, but the standards of God, I mean. And that's a measuring stick. And I mean that as, all right, this is the decision in front of me. What does the Bible say about it? What's the most godly thing to do in this situation? And that is the action that I'm going to take, even if it hurts sometimes. I promise you, it's the most freeing thing. It sounds awful, but it's the most freeing thing you can ever do. An individual's truth traps those who love them and want to care for them. we got to get you in this I got you moment. Oh, you be- you're going you're gonna to believe what I believe? All right, give, give up your morals over here and come, come over here a little more and a little more and a little more until now you've compromised yourself. And now you're back to that, i got to make a decision. Again, John reminded of that, us of that this morning when he reminded those who have been 
baptized into Christ, who are, who's our king? And God's truth frees us. I've said this over and over again, and I say it because I mean it. Um, I truly believe it. God's truth sets us free by addressing the individual who is harming themselves and their decisions by knowing that your concern is God's concern. See, when you address somebody in a biblical love about destructive behavior or actions or whatever the situation is, you can rest assured that if you've approached them in biblical love, that you are showing them the compassionate nature of God by standing firm, the beauty of intolerance. That's what wins hearts, people. It is being addressed from real love, biblical love. That's the best kind of love. It's a love of nourishment and cherishing those that we love and that God loves. As we go into the world this week, there's lots of craziness going on. Lots of things on the radio. Uh, it's just insane. On the TV. Conversations that are taking place with friends. Decisions being made that we really don't have any control over and it's destroying friendships. I think one of the things we need to do this week is take a step back. Apply John's lesson this morning. And then step forward in biblical love, and in God's truth. And I think that's a winning combination. I truly believe that. Because no matter how hard we work, we can plant a hundred seeds. We can water a trillion seeds. Bud provides the growth. Is that right? No. God provides the growth. So do the work and let God have the rest. He'll do it. We know it. We've seen it happen. Put our trust in him. Plant the seeds in biblical love. Water them in God's truth. And watch what he does with it. So as we end, I encourage you to love one another. Love your community. Love those who are lost. And uh, if you... I guess I didn't offer an invitation for baptism, but that option is available. We can talk more about that if that's the case. If you have any need, um, if you want to study more about what biblical love looks like, if you want to, uh, if you want prayers for the congregation, if there's anything at all, there are lots of people who are willing to help you, uh, sit with you, talk with you. Uh, we can go eat somewhere. I love. There's nothing that I won't, I won't do to go have a burger. So come, hit me up. We'll, we'll go have a burger and we'll talk. But just know that there's coming a time. I truly believe this. I don't think it's the end of days or anything like that. Nobody knows. You know, nobody knows. Not even Jesus, only God. But there is, there is a time coming where we're going to have to make that decision in our political climate, in our society. And I want to ask you how you're going to respond. I hope it's in God's truth and biblical love. So, as we finish, if you have any need at all, please come as we stand and as we sing.